Good morning. It's indeed a pleasure to be here with you this morning and to share in this time uh, in God's Word. Uh, Pastor Chip asked me to take a look at the title of Raising Kids in a Godly, Into Being Godly Adults. Raising Kids into Being Godly Adults. I confess to the, um, to the first service that I am not an expert at that. I really am not. Um, we have been very, very fortunate that our children has turned out uh, as, as we think they're fantastic kids. We have two girls, and we have two girls because uh, we plan to have four, uh, four kids, but uh, both of them became girls, and uh, nothing against girls. I love girls, <laughs> but I did not want four or five of them. <laughs> I had a buddy in seminary. <laughs> The testimony there. <laughs> I had a friend in seminary who kept trying, kept trying, kept trying, and I uh, ended up with five. And I was chaplain with the football team for a few years, and Coach Gardner kept trying, kept trying, and he had seven. I uh, had two sets of twins, if you'd remember. Uh, and uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with girls. They are wonderful. Uh, we wouldn't have a world where we have without women and girls. But, um, but, uh, my household only need to have a sorority there with the three of them. Uh, you know, I, I grew up um, <clears throat> in two locations. I told the early service I, uh, I had the unfortunate ability. I thought I was very fortunate to, 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 to be raised in two different settings. My mom and dad split up when I was three years old. And so uh, I spent the summers with my dad and my grandmother, who was a saintly lady. Uh, in Gaston, South Carolina, on the farm, which my dad ran. And, uh, and then I spend the school year in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I know that's enemy territory, but uh, that's where I grew up, uh, in, in Columbia there. And at first I thought I had the best of both worlds. But what I didn't realize is what I was missing is having my dad in my life uh, <clears throat> all year long. And there is certain parts of our lives that only moms and dad can touch. There are just certain things that only moms and dad can do for, for individuals. I do believe that it's the most important thing that the church is called to do is to raise godly kids. And I think that, that you know, in the Psalms it says train up a child. It doesn't tra say train up your child, but train up a child. So the whole church has the responsibility of helping to do that, but what I didn't what I didn't realize what I was missing was that investment and that touch that I needed from my dad, and so I grew up with some insecurities and some insecurities that have lingered in my life. I had some surrogates that come alongside me and help me. A lot of them were coaches, but um, but there was still something that that only dad could touch. And uh, I was sharing with with someone in the early service this morning. My dad was a military guy. He was a he was a farmer, too, and, and he came back from, from military, and there were parts of him uh, that, that he wanted to put, put a roof over your head, put clothes on your back, put food on the table, and all the nurturing stuff come from mom. Uh, I'm glad that we'll celebrate Father's Day next week, and dads have come a long, 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 long way uh, since those days. But those were the days that my dad really and truly never, ever said, uh, that he loved me. 
because it just was not in his, uh, in his vocabulary. He would grab my head, or grab my shoulder, and uh, you could see in his eyes that he cared, but he never voiced those words to me. And I'm not complaining. Uh, I'm not complaining at all. Uh, but, but I think it's very, very important for us to understand, and not understand just from, from me, but understand from God's word what it means to raise godly kids. And in Psalms, I'm a, uh, all three, three chapters, I'm gonna take, we're going to be looking at Psalm 78, uh, words from Asia, and words from uh, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then Psalms again, uh, uh, Psalms 44. And, and one of the things that they talked about is that, Asa is talking about, is that we need to give kids a big God, a big God. Now, my grandmother was, was, my, uh, was my saintly grandmother, and she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. And if you're over 50 in this room today, you've heard these things. Uh, if you're not, maybe you've shared it with your kids. Uh, <clears throat> my grandmother used to tell me three things, and the three things that were key, she said. Remember who you are. You know, that Scots and Youngs, uh, they, they don't have a whole lot, but what they do have is a good name. And that if you do anything to mess up my name, then uh, you got, uh, she was simply said, you got hell to pay. <laughs> she just did not think that you should do anything to, to mess up the name. And she said, you need to remember who you are. You're God's child. You're God's child. And then the third thing she would say, you need to understand what's required of you. What's required of you? And, uh, and I think Scripture does that. Scripture gives us a clear understanding of who we are in Christ. It gives us a clear understanding of whose we are in Christ and what's required of us. What's required of us and what we should do. And, and I think in, as we look at Psalm 78, one of the first things it talks about in Psalm 78, he really and truly goes... Uh, of saying that we need to equip kids to be able to, to stand up and face the, face the hardships and face the struggles of our lives, uh, that life brings in our lives. And, and, and that's one of the things that I think that he was saying here. And the very first verse that he talks about there, he, he talks about lending an ear, inclined our ears to God in, in, uh, in, in Psalm 71. He says that we're to, he says to my people, I want you to listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. It is so important for us to listen to the voice of God, to listen to the voice of God. You know, I, I woke up every uh, morning in the summers when I was there, and I would find my grandmother at 4 a.m. sitting at the table, sitting at the table. Her great, my great-grandfather had taught her to read because she had no formal education. But one of the things that I always saw her reading was the Bible. And she would spend, she would spend time in the Bible reading and, uh, and praying there at the table. I think if we're really and truly to help our kids be godly adults, they need to see us reading his word. They need to see us valuing the voice of God. They need to see us valuing that. And, help, and we need to help them to understand that everything they need to do life is here in the Word of God. Everything they need to do life is here in the Word of God. You know, when Chip gave me this uh, instruction, the first thing I did was went straight to, to, uh, to, to the Bible. Because I can stand here and tell you what we did, 
but we need to understand what God commands us to do. And he says, incline your ear, stretch your ear. In the Hebrew, it means stretch forward and listen to the voice of God. You see, back in those particular days, everything was what? Oral tradition, oral tradition. And the traditions were passed down. In verse 2, it's talking about all those stories, the dark stories, the stark sayings, the hidden things that we need to really and truly share with our kids. And we do that only through the Word of God, of valuing the Word of God, of valuing the Word of God, of spending that time. Now, I know everybody in this room is not morning people. And getting up 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the morning is the last thing you want to do and read because you'll probably end up falling asleep. But whatever that time is, we need to value that time of listening to the voice of God and hearing the word of God. The second thing it says that in, 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 our seven, in Psalm 78 is that we need to celebrate the great deeds and the acts of God. We need to celebrate those things. Now, I know that, 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 that this place would be packed if it was Easter or it was a Christmas, right? <laughs> Easter or Christmas, this place would be packed. It would be packed. But do you know? When you read scripture on a consistent basis, you always hear what? The festival of the boots, or the festival of this, or the festival of that. The nation of Israel was constantly doing what? Celebrating great acts that God had done in their lives. And that's one of the reasons why the word was passed on so very, very easily, because they were celebrated. They were talked about. They were shared about what God did in their lives and how God worked in their lives. And they did that on a constant basis. You know, I, I love being in the country on July 4th, 5th, on July 4th, really, and because we always had a big barbecue, and everyone came, the whole family came. And we would butcher a hog, slaughter a hog, which wasn't, wasn't fun. <laughs> it didn't smell well. Uh, skin it, and then we would cut that sucker in half and cook it all night long. And in the process of cooking it all night long, we would sit there and hear. I had an Uncle Cleveland, and everybody has an Uncle Cleveland in their lives, that would sit down and talk about all the different things that had happened in our lives. But my grandmother, who was the matriarch of our family, she would always talk to us about the things, the things of our lives, the stories of our lives. And boy, we would sit there all night long. And even when we were about to fall asleep, we would listen to the stories of how God worked and how God moved. And one of the stories that my grandmother loved telling us is that the Scots and Youngs were the first to have land, blacks to have land in Gaston, South Carolina. And she would tell stories like it was Sergeant York, you know, and he worked 30 hours a day, although it was 24 hours in a day. And uh, he would do all these different things. He would work in our, in, in our garden and go work down here and chop cotton over here and do all these different things. But when I turned about 12 years old, my dad pulled me aside. And this is what my dad said to me. He said, you know, yeah, your, your great-granddad worked hard. And he did a lot of different things. And he did, he did purchase land. And we, he built the house that, that, that Grandma lives in now. Uh, but let me tell you, your granddaddy, your great-granddaddy was a bootlegger. He made whiskey. Now, yes, he did all these other things, but you need to understand who you are and where you came from. You know, you, you know he made moonshine. <laughs> uh, someone in the early service came down and said, hey, 
my, uh, my relatives made, made whiskey too up in the hills of Tennessee. Uh, so, so they did that. And, and I can remember now, my dad told me, he said, hey, you know, there's a little jar in the, wasn't a refrigerator, it was an icebox back in those kind of days. And she said that was something that grandma still made home brew. Grandma was a saintly lady and she helped open the church up and all that stuff, but she still made a little home brew. Uh, that she, she didn't sell it anymore, but she still made it. So we need to know and celebrate our good <laughs> and the bad history of our lives. And what we see here in Scripture is good and bad. And what I love about the Old Testament is the Old Testament talks about the good things that happened, but the Old Testament also talks about the warts in the lives of people. And we need to celebrate it all. Because we don't know where the pitfalls are to where we're going to fall, fail that. If we don't know our stories, then we're going to repeat our stories. So we need to celebrate those things. But the next thing he says is that we need to transfer these great stories to our children. This multi-generation thing. We need to transfer the stories of how God worked and how God moved in our lives in so many different ways. And you know, in 1955, 1955, the state of Georgia was 85% churched, 85% church. You want to know what the, the, the stats are today? There are 7 million people in the state of Georgia who are unsaved. We are no longer considered, our state is no longer considered a Bible Belt state. Now I need to say that again. We're no longer considered a Bible Belt state. Clark County, where I live, national stats says that Clark County is more lost than Seattle, Washington is. That out of 165,000 people, that probably only three or 4,000 people are church on Sunday mornings. 2% of the population. 2% of the population, transferring the gospel to the next generation. Transferring the gospel to the next generation. It is one of the most important things we have as parents, but it's one of the most important things we have as what? As a church. As a church. It is so important. If we're going to have a godly, godly generation, it is so important for us to do what? To transfer the gospel. To transfer the gospel. Because if we don't do those things, if we don't listen to the voice of God, if we don't tell the great deeds and the great stories and transfer those things on, then there's not going to be what? The next thing it says is that we want, we want our children to have what? To establish decrees and laws in this next generation. We want them to know what it means to be kingdom people. We want them to know what that means. We don't want them out there trying to decide on their own about what it means to be a kingdom person or be a person of faith. That there's certain things that we do and certain things that we don't. Don't do. And it says that we need to teach the laws, the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words of Moses, that we help them to do what? To understand to understand exactly, exactly what is required of them and what God wants from them. 
and to understand what that means to me. So if we don't establish those things and don't talk to them about those things, then why are we surprised when they don't do those things? The next thing it says that we need to, <clears throat> to help them to place their ultimate hope in God and God alone. I, I shared with the group earlier today. Look here. We had our, our kids in church on Wednesday. We had our church, kids in church on Sunday mornings. We had our kids in church on Sunday evenings. My kids uh, played a lot of uh, uh, volleyball, basketball. They ran track. They did AAU stuff and all those different things, just like a lot of your kids are doing now. But we made sure that they understood that on Wednesday night, they had to be at church. On Sunday morning, they had to be at church. On Sunday evening, they had to be at church. Those things were very, very important. But I really and truly want to say to you and confess to you that we did not stress it as much as we thought we did, looking back on it. Because our girls sing, they dance. Uh, one of my daughters played at least 10 instruments. One of my daughters plays five instruments. They were involved in a lot of things that we thought that were building them up to be healthy, balanced people. But in the scriptures, you won't find those healthy, balanced people. The scripture says we need to focus on what? The word of God. And that God is our only hope. And that God is the one that needs to do what? To give ourselves of what? Our give us our self-esteem. Give us our self-esteem. To give us our purpose. To help us to understand what our calling is in our life. Word of God, and to put our hope in Him and our hope in Him alone. That we have steadfast faith, that we never forget the deeds in which He's calling us to do. Never forget the deeds. Never forget the things that, we, that, 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 that God has accomplished in our lives. Uh, the gentleman here, I, we, we sat and talked. He knows some of the same people I know, and I was around that first championship team over in Watkinsville. Wasn't around them, but I did a couple of uh, devotions for them. And knew a lot of the, knew some of the coaches that that and some of the players that played, and we stood there for a few minutes and talked about those times, and celebrate that wonderful 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 feat. But we can't forget what God has done in our lives. We can't forget it, and we can't stop talking about it, about how important it is. You know, it is so important for us to share with people the things that have brought bumps in our lives. And how we've come or overcome those things. My grandmother had 10 kids. Had 10 kids. Five of those kids died in childbirth. Five of them died in childbirth. Two of them died in accident. One in a drowning situation and one in a hunting accident. And I cannot, I can't tell you how much my grandmother shared those things to me. And talked to me about that. I still remember her favorite hymn. I remember her standing over, over, over the sink, washing dishes, and talking, praying, and crying out to God, God, don't move my mountains, but continue to give me the strength to climb. And I didn't understand a clue about what Grandma was talking about. I didn't understand a clue what she was talking about, but she constantly told me what she meant about that. And there were five kids that, that died, seven kids that died. And that God had given her the strength to go on and to move on and to raise those three, my, da my dad, my Uncle Cleveland, and my Aunt Lou. We need, they need to know 
They need to know that mom had cancer, a grandma had cancer, and we prayed to our God, and God came. They need to know family scripture because that's exactly what it is. Now, I'm not, I'm not minimizing the, script, the Holy Scriptures, but when you are faced with a difficult thing in your life and God helps to bring you through it, and your kids need to know where that strength came from. They need to know what happened there. And, and I'll confess now, I, we didn't do that as much as we should have. I listened to my mom cry herself to sleep at night for the first three or four years of my life, and I didn't understand why. Until later on, my, my grandmother told me that, that, her, that her son, her son who she loved, and cared for, slept around on my mom. Two days after I was born, my mom found out that he was uh, messing around with another lady a few miles down the road by the fact that a little girl, baby, was brought to her. And she said, hey, look, I know I don't know a whole lot, but I know the difference between a boy and a girl. My daughters didn't hear that story after my father died. They should have heard that story. They should have known what their grandmother went through and how she was able to pick herself back up and move forward and get married again and try to give me a father, a father figure in my life. They needed to know those kinds of things about their grandmother. They need to know how we get through difficult times. And it's not just because your dad is strong or your mom is strong or your granddaddy was strong, but they leaned on their father. They leaned on their Lord and their Savior. Never forgetting how God works, how God moves in the lives of his people and give them the security that they need. Because look, history repeats itself and family sins repeat themselves. We know that. And so we need to be giving them stability in the word of God that they wouldn't forget those things. And the next thing, steadfast. We need to help them to understand a steadfast faithfulness in God. To establish a steadfastness and faithfulness in God. That's what they said there. They want you to establish that. Want to help them to understand that God is one that we can spend the rest of our lives having faith in. You know, I've been doing this for 35 years. I've been saved now for about 40 years of my sixth of my 65 years. And I did some really, really bad things because I did what? I followed some of the mistakes that my dad made. Didn't father any other children. My grandmother wanted to make sure that. She looked at me and she said, hey, look, you're a goober. And then she described to me what a goober was. <laughs> She said, on both sides of your family, these are the things that have happened on both sides of your family. My, grand, my dad, my great-granddad, all of them. That's a, that's a stigma of Scots and Young. I want you, since you're the oldest grandchild, to break that cycle. To break that cycle. And I did. We only have, I only have two kids that I've fathered. My two daughters. Because grandma pumped that into my head that your problem is and your, your legacy could be is these kinds of things. If you're not careful, you're not careful. 
We need to do that to help them be steadfast. But we also need to let them know about the problems, the negatives, the, the failures of the nation. In 8 and 9, it talks about what? It talks about that, <clears throat> that they would not be like their ancestors, their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirit was not faithful to him. The men of Ephraim, though they were armed with bows, turned back on the day of the battle. I want you to hear that again now. They didn't want them. He said, I want you to do these things so they wouldn't do what? So they won't really and truly turn away from God and be armed with bows and ready for battle and then do what? And turn back and run, to drop their bows and run away. Let me tell you, my daughters are good, good, solid people. They're well-educated young ladies, they're teachers, they're coaches, and they invest in their community and in their church. They're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful folks. But one, some of the things that my, my wife and I experience, they've never had to experience. And sometimes they come home with issues and problems that we look at each other and say, we did not prepare them for that. They're soft. Let me just be perfectly honest. They're soft. A principal say this, a principal says that, and it ruins their whole day. Why? Because we didn't strengthen them. We didn't really and truly help them to understand who they really and truly are. And that no one controls their destiny. No one controls their destiny. We didn't tell them that the only people that controls your destiny is God and you. Satan votes against you. God votes for you. You have the deciding vote. Are you going to give this person control and power over you? No, because they have no power over you. They are soft. And we have to shake our heads every night sometimes when we're praying for them and talking them through a situation. I think it's one of the reasons why they're not married now. They are soft. They're really soft because we didn't prepare them for battle and then prepare them fully for everything because we tried to take all the bumps out of their lives. We tried to take all the decision-making sometimes out of their lives because we wanted them to have it easy. And when you try to help kids have it easy, then when they run into a battle, they run away. They drop their bows and they run. When your parents and your parents' parents and their parents stood strong in the face of it and didn't run away. But then we go to Deuteronomy real quick. And Deuteronomy is kind of a kind of a handbook Moses gives us. Moses preached three sermons. The whole book of Deuteronomy is really three sermons. First few chapters are the first sermon. Uh, the second sermon is chapter six. And then the last three chapters of the book is the third sermon. But here right in the middle of it, what Moses wanted to do is says, to give you a, a manual of how it's to be done. What do you to teach them? He said, you teach them the decrees and the laws. You help them to understand the decrees and the laws. 
you make sure that they know the laws of Moses. And Joshua, he says what? He says, meditate on the book of the law day and night. Meditate on it day and night that you know it backwards and forward, that you know what that's expected of you. And do not turn away from it, Joshua says, to the left or to the right, but stay on track and allow the word of God to do what? To transform your life, to know the laws. And then he says, why? Why should they know the laws? In verses 2 and 3, he tells them. He says, so that your children will what? Number one, fear the Lord. Not fear anyone else, but fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, have a healthy understanding that this is a big God, but that we need to be afraid of who God is in reverence to who God really and truly is. To fear the Lord and to keep his decree and keep his commandment. And then it goes on to say what? So that they will enjoy a long life. A long life. Why? So that they will be able to not be careful to what? Obey all the decrees that God have given them, and so that life would go well for them. What? Why? And then he goes on to say, well, who's? Who's it? In verse, uh, in verse 5 and 6, he says, Hear, O, o Israel, uh, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. To understand that you belong to God, and that you to love God, put your love in God, and not into anything else. Not into anything else. And then he says, when did you to do this? He says, he says, you need to give these commandments to them and impress them on them. Talk about them when you what? When you sit at home, when you walk alongside the road, when you lie down, when you get up in the morning. He says, put them as a symbol on your hands. Put them on a symbol as your forehead. He says, write them on your doorpost, on your frame. Put them on your gates of your house. In every life situation, he says what? We're to talk about who? Talk about God. <coughs> talk about God. Tell our kids about God and his greatness and who he is. Yeah, it is so important that we look at this. And then he says, he says not only when, but he gives a warning in verse 10 and 12. He says, when you get, when the Lord your God bring you into the land that he swore to give you to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to give you this land with flourishing cities that you did not build, with houses you did not fill with all the good things that are there, with wells that you didn't dig, with vineyards that, that you had nothing to do with, olive gardens, all these different things, when you eat and you're satisfied, that you will not do what? You won't forget God. You know, the American dream, guys, is sitting out there waiting. And we don't have to teach it to our kids. We don't have to teach it to them. The American dream and riches and things are so important to them are so important to them because they're important to us. And prosperity is one of the biggest killers of our faith. I took a group of, I took a group of students to Germany. Shortly after the wall came down, and I talked to some of the pastors there, and they said, when the walls went, when the walls went up here in Germany, 
He says, we were just a few hundred people, faith people. Through the persecution and the struggles, the church drew to about two million people. Two million in hardships and struggles. But he says, as soon as the wall came down, we were having a hard time keeping people what? Focus. Focus, because now they got things. Now they got stuff. And God knew it. God says that if we're not careful when we go into these flourishing cities, we'll forget God. We'll forget him because we have all these things. And I want to be honest with you and be confessional today. <laughs> My girls are educated beyond our means, meaning that we're still paying student loans. <laughs> Our girls are extremely successful, and they work in church, and we love them. We really do. But they have to, we have to fight hard against prosperity. And it's simply saying that we need to help them now. In Judges 2, these are the words that heard this particular sermon. It says, all those men were gathered in Judges 2. You read it later on yourself. Judges 2, 10 and 11, it says that, that those who heard the sermon was gathered to the fathers, and they grew up a generation who did not know God, and who did not know the works of his hands and the deeds that he had done. Prosperity. They got there, and you know the story. What happened? They turned their backs on God, and they began to worship other gods. And they began to do all kinds of different things because their bellies were full and they were satisfied. Prosperity. That was the warning that he told them. But he, he said to them, and we need to move on now. I'm getting, getting close to my time here. Sorry. But he gives us a perfect example in 44, 1 through 8 there. He says that, but he says, but our fathers taught us our fathers taught us that it was not by our hands, not by our swords, but it was by the hand of God, by the hand of God, and by the light of his countenance. And so the kids said what in those last few verses? That you are my king, and we will trust in you, and in God we will boast all the days of our lives and praise your name forever. And folks, I want to I close just with four quick things, four practical things that we need to try to do. I think it's very, very important that we establish a family worship. I have done almost 300 weddings, and one of the things I tell them all the time is to establish family worship now. Even before you get married, establish family worship. Before kids come along, establish family worship. And all that consists of is read your Bible. Read a chapter, read 10 verses, read whatever. Talk about what those verses mean. Interpret those verses to each other and to your kids. Pray to your God. Sing a song, go to bed. That's all consists of family worship. But you're here today and you're married. You need, if you're married without children right now, 
you need to be establishing family worship. You need to be praying together. Worshiping together in a home and preparing for when your children come along. And when your children come along, you need to be worshiping with them. You need to be talking to them about, about the things that God has commanded you to do and the things that God commands them to do and help them to understand those things. The next thing you need to do is you need to participate actively in your worship service. Participate actively in your worship service. I heard those husband and wife, I think they're husband and wife. <laughs> they're not, they're not, I'm sorry. <laughs> I heard them singing out loud. At the, she has her Bible open the whole time, actively. Your children are watching you. They're watching you. If you come to church, you don't even bring your Bible. You don't stand and sing. Now, I don't sing, and I don't sing well at all. But I try in front of them. But reading your Bibles, actively participating in the worship service, it takes a village to raise. The third thing, it takes a village to raise your children. It, it takes a village. You, you know, I, <clears throat> I went to a church back in the dark ages. I was back in the dark ages. One old guy and, and, and the peewee football team I played on, one of the deacons coached that team. I played Little League Baseball, one of the deacons coached that team. Uh, I was a Boy Scout. The chairman of the deacons was our scout master. Every teacher I had in elementary and, and middle school and high school lived in my community. I knew who they were. They knew me. If I got in trouble at school, I was in trouble at home, and I was in trouble at school, <laughs> at, at, at church. Sometimes while we were walking out, I heard the pastor pull me aside and say, boy, I heard that you were walking down the hallway with your shirt tail out. With your shirt tail out. Now look here. I got suspended from school for having my shirt tail out once. That was a long time ago, right? <laughs> With my shirt tail out in my school. And I didn't even know it. It was in the back. And the principal looked at me and she said, okay, you ill-mounted boy, just go on home. Don't come back to you and bring your mama. It takes a village to raise them. So they need to be involved in kids' code. They need to be involved with family worship. They need to be involved with, with, with saintly grandmothers and grandfathers that need to be teaching them and helping them. Those things are very, very important to help raise your kids to be the people they need to be. You need to take them when you do missions and do ministry on the field. You need to take them with you. You need to do a, mis a ministry trip with your kids. When you go visit a sick person, you need to Help, let them take, help you take the meal. <clears throat> I went to visit someone in the hospital, two or three people in the hospital yesterday. I took my small kid along with me. I prayed the first time. She prayed the second time that we were in a, in a hospital room. We need to take them with us on the ministry field. And then they'll grow up and be the people that God is calling them to be. It is the most important job that we have as parents, as a church, and as grandparents. I love my grandmama. How many of you in here really and truly loved your grandparents and knew them very well and spent a great deal of time with them? We need to make sure that they're spending time with godly grandparents. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for your love and your grace. 
And we're grateful, dear God, for the kids that you've given us to steward. As the band comes now to play, let us pray, dear God, that you challenge each and every one of our hearts as parents, as church workers, or even as teenagers or college students that are here to help invest in the lives of young people in this next generation and help them to become everything that they need to become for you. For it's in Christ's precious name. Amen.